The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. In verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to Isaac, David, were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. All right, let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this Sunday. Uh, Thank you for these words and this passage and all the names that are mentioned here. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we'll just be reminded of the gospel today. Uh, May we have fresh reminders of what you've done for us. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you just speak through Randall, uh, give him the boldness and the encouragement to um, uh, preach the good news. And I pray that you'll just speak to us, Lord. And yeah, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jindarm. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Randall, Pastor of Grace City, um, and we are in the season of Advent. So what we've been talking about is this anticipation, right, of Jesus uh, being born, but also uh, not just the first coming of, of Jesus coming, his birth, right, which we, we look forward to at Christmas time, but also uh, the second coming, that Jesus is coming again. And why that's important is because uh, as we look around in this world, we, we would have to admit that there's, there's, a, there's an angst, right? There's something that we look around and we say, it's, something's not quite right here. Uh, things are falling apart. People are passing away. Life is changing all of the times. It, it feels dark at moments. But, but what we find as we look at this season of Advent is that uh, in the midst of the darkness, the light comes. The light comes through. Uh, the, the word uh, in, in Latin, Advent, is a Latin word. It means arrival. And so this is an anticipation of Jesus making all things new. Jesus seated on the throne. Jesus is king, the rightful king on the throne. And so what we learn is that uh, through Jesus' coming, uh, God is not a, a distant God, off somewhere else, but, but actually is a God that came near to us. See, the God of the Bible loves us intimately, and it's not just an idea that God loves me, but, but an actual decision, intentional decision that God made to say, no, I'm coming for them. God came near to us. He became vulnerable. He came as a baby, And I want us, before we jump into today's text, to really think about that for a minute. It should should be astounding to us that that God came so near, he became like us. Charles Spurgeon once said, infinite and an infant, eternal and yet born of a woman, supporting a universe and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms, 
king of angels and yet the reputed son of Joseph. Heir of all things and yet the carpenter's despised son. Think about that. That's how near God came to us. That he would be looked upon like this. And so today, we're going to be looking at this text in in Matthew 1, and we're going to be studying uh, this all through Advent. And so we're really going to get uh, down deep into the genealogy of Jesus. And and I can just guess that many of you have probably not done much diving down deep into the genealogy of Jesus, right? Some of us here, we were like, that's what put me to bed as I started to read the book of Matthew. It was like, that's what got my eyes ready. Of like, I'm getting a little tired here, glazed over, ready to go to bed, reading through the, the genealogy of Jesus, right? Some of us have, have been there. Uh, but today, I hope that we see more than just what's on the surface of just names, but, but actual lineage of Jesus' royal family. Jesus' royal family. Because that's what we see here. See, family lineage is important. Um, It helps us to know where we come from. I I didn't realize this until I got older. When I started to look a little bit more into my family's history. Right, and they're, 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 for some of us, it means a lot because as we start to dig down deep into our family lineage, we, we make decisions based on that. We make life decisions based on that because we see that in, in some cases, uh, there's people within our family lineage that we look at and we say, man, I don't want to go on the same path that they did. For others of us, we look at our family lineage and we say, wow, this is, this is really incredible. This is, this is a life that, that, that really speaks to me. And it's encouraging as I look at it. And I want to be like this person that was in my family. This past week, we went and we drove to to go see my parents, which are six hours away in Arizona. And um, as we got there, uh, my my parents have uh, just shelves of of pictures and and, and, uh, articles and things like that from, from our family. And this week, my, my son, Kai, he's 11, he, he walked over with my wife and he started to dig through some of the, the different news articles and, and saw some of the, the, the military uh, uh, awards and different things like that, that that my family had had over the years. And he looked at this and he said, wow, I didn't know that this was, this was people in, in our own family. Right? There was something, as he looked through it, he was like, wow, there's something to this that, that connects me to people that aren't currently alive. And in studying the book of, of Matthew, we see that, that there's a connection with, with Jesus' birth to people that, that came before. And their lives spoke to the audience, the Jewish audience, as they were reading through this, and it started to come to life for them. William Barclay, who's a commentator on uh, the book of Matthew, writes, he says, Matthew's picture of Jesus is of the man born to be king. Jesus walks through his pages as if in the purple and gold of royalty. See, what's the, what's the heart of Jesus' arrival? It's the arrival of the anticipated king taking his seat on the throne. See, Jesus walks through the pages of, of this book as if in purple and gold of royalty. 
And this genealogy points to the royal lineage and royal family history of Jesus. Now, why does this matter? Here's why it matters. Because God created us to live in a kingdom. In a kingdom. Right? Remember at the beginning, it says that he made you and me in his own image. And Jesus is the embodiment of what life was meant to be. God came to be with us, walked among us, and showed us what life in the kingdom is all about. See, but for many of us, the struggle is this. That instead of living for the intention that God created us for, We get caught in side projects of building our own little castles and thinking that that's what the kingdom's all about. And instead of God being on the throne, we're on the throne. We're on the throne. And so we start to live for our own little castles instead of for the kingdom of God. Psalm 2, verses 2 through 3, tells us the state of every human heart. It says kings here, but really we can replace our names. It says the kings of the earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. You know what this is saying? It's saying that at the the root of our problem, if we were to look at sin, right, what's the middle letter? I, it's all about me at the center And that the ruler of our little castles that we create are us. But when Jesus enters the picture, when God enters the picture and says, no, I'm in charge, we conspire, we make plans to try and throw off his leading in our life because I'm in charge. I'm in charge. But the hope is in at the end of Psalm 2, it says this, it ends like this. In verses 10 through 12, therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment because for all who are blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so the question is, as Jesus enters the picture, as Jesus enters the scene, as the the ruling king that he is, the question is, will we kiss the son? Will we receive the son? See, that's what Advent's about. Will I receive his kingship into my life? So our text today is Matthew 1, 1 through 6, and, and we're going to look at verses 17 as well. This kind of wraps it up, and, and it will help us. And, and, and over the weeks, we're going to be really breaking down the whole genealogy here. But we're looking at the, the family line of Jesus, and um, what does this teach us about Jesus' family and his kingship? Well, it reveals three important aspects. It reveals, number one, his credibility— Number two, the diversity. And number three, redemption. Credibility, diversity, redemption. 
Like I said, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and so um, what they need is some credibility as this book starts. See, why does Matthew give such detail in this genealogy? Because here's what he says in verse 1. Look at verse 1, the credibility. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's where he starts. Why is this such detail? Well, first, he wants to reinforce that the birth of Jesus is not a work of fiction, but it is, in fact, something that happened within history. Right? These are recordings of the life of Jesus. And so he's recording the lineage and the history of where Jesus came from. Uh, this doesn't start out as in a distant land long, long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, right? Doesn't start that way. This starts with real people, messy situations, real places. And what he does is he documents it all throughout his book. About the historicity of the life of Jesus, Professor at King's College uh, Richard Burridge says, there are those who argue that Jesus is a figment of the church's imagination, that, that there uh, never was a Jesus at all. I have to say that I don't know any respectable critical scholar who says that anymore. Too much evidence, overwhelming evidence that Jesus walked this earth. And so as we think about that, Matthew's writing to people to say there's a credibility to the life of Jesus. Second, and starting with the genealogy, this would have made complete sense to a Jewish reader. See, it was common practice to give a pedigree of the person to show their credibility. And so he starts by saying, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, over the next few weeks here, we're going to be diving into this and why this is so important. But Matthew starts by using the two biggest names in Jewish history. And here's what he's saying. Yes, they are both connected to the lineage of Jesus. They're connected to him. Matthew is showing that in every way, Jesus has the pedigree of royalty. People would have looked and said, Abraham, yes. They would have looked at David and said, yes. But the greater yes is in Jesus. He's the person in which all of these before are pointing towards. And so we see that Jesus has the pedigree of royalty. Now, again, why does this matter? Well, all the way back in Genesis 3.15, there was a promise that was given. And this promise, uh, the Jewish rabbis believed, uh, was God's promise to ultimately save his people. And God would ultimately save his people from the fall and from sin. Remember what happens in Genesis 3. Right in that moment is when sin enters the world. Adam and Eve make this decision that, that opens up the floodgates to the darkness that we experience. But right after that, Genesis 3.15, we find that there was the promise. Now, scholars call this the Proto-Evangelion, which is the first gospel. Um, and, and what had happened was there's this spiritual angst throughout history that God uh, must save his people and that one day he would be sending the Messiah. Now, 
As Matthew is writing this genealogy of Jesus Christ, he's pointing to Abraham, he's pointing to David, and he's pointing to the fact and screaming out, crying out to anyone who would listen, he's here. He's here. He's come. He's arrived. There's a credibility of Jesus wrapped up in the history, wrapped up in the people that all pointed to he's here. And so the second aspect uh, that we see that Matthew reveals is a diversity. Look at verses three, and then we'll go down to five and six, okay? Um, So first, verse three. uh, And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Verse five. And Salmon, the uh, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Okay, so what what do we find out in Jesus' genealogy? Uh, Well, next we find that Matthew intentionally includes people that would have not been naturally included in a family lineage. They would not have been included. These are the people that are not invited over for Thanksgiving and holidays, right? These are like the, these are not those people we highlight. See, there are three uh, points that should stick out to us that Matthew and, and ultimately is God goes countercultural to the ways in which genealogies were written in the time. And so first, they, we find is, number one, there was moral outsiders, Um, we find that Tamar is included. If you look at the life of Tamar, she was sexually abused by a family member. And she was brought in. And she's a part of the lineage of Jesus. We find Rahab, who was a prostitute. We find David, murderer, adulterer. We find that there were racial outsiders. See, this wasn't just a Jewish lineage. But there were non-Jews that were included. If you were to look at Ruth, Ruth was not a part of a Jewish lineage or background. But she's included in this. Lastly, there were those who were considered gender outsiders. Historically, women were not named in genealogies. Do you know what? They're named in the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus and his birth is radically including people from all places. That wouldn't have been included in any Jewish genealogy. See, this goes against the grain of the culture. And and during the time, people like King Herod would have uh, and did uh, take their lineage and he, he omitted people that wouldn't make him look good. That's what he did. He basically took his lineage uh, because in his lineage there were points where uh, he wasn't, it wasn't fully Jewish. And so in those, that lineage, he started to omit different things and people knew about this. Because what it was, it was like a resume. And, you know, truthfully, in our families, we do the same thing. We start to omit different people, uh, intentionally or unintentionally. You know, I think... Uh, uh, a few generations back, 
I don't know my grandmother's uh, parents. We, we don't really know much about them. We don't talk about them because they weren't great parents. You know, they, they kind of left my, my grandmother and her sister during the Great Depression to fend for themselves. And so it was like we didn't even really talk about that part. It was like that was like omitted from our family. Right? There's parts where we look into our family lineage and we think there's, there's gaps. Right? There's gaps. But do you know that that's part of living in a broken world? We all come in with these gaps. But what we find is that Jesus, in his lineage, is starting to close some of the gaps in these places where there wouldn't be any gaps closed. See, in every way, Jesus em- embraces the outsider. And what this should tell us is this, that it's not by moral perfection or having been born into the right family or, or being the right uh, fit in society, but that through grace, we are saved. Through God's kindness, we are saved. Through his grace, it covers us and embraces us in ways that the world would never embrace. Do you see, friends? Matthew does not spare the raw details, and I'm glad he doesn't, because he is pointing to the reality of the darkness of the world, but the beautiful light of Jesus and how Jesus' light covers those places. So lastly, Uh, The genealogy reveals a redemption. This is really cool. Verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation uh, to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon and to the Christ, 14 generations. Now again, we're going to study some of this, but... What is the broad picture? What, what, is this, what does this mean? Matthew is saying that historically, through all of the broken, dark generations he listed, Jesus is the redemption of them all. He's the redemption of them all. Uh, Isaiah 9.2 says this. The people walking in the darkness have seen a great light On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For many of us, this is the the coming, the arrival, the anticipation that Jesus is coming, right? But, But why does it say walking in darkness? Because that's the reality without God. As we're stumbling around, we're walking in darkness, we're looking throughout our lives and we're seeing darkness everywhere. But it says that the, the a great light comes in. See, what is the redemption in all of this? Well, the number seven is a number of completion in the scriptures. And so what does this 14 plus 14 plus 14 mean? Well, Jewish readers would have seen what Matthew is is trying to say. He's saying that Jesus is the ultimate completion of history. 
seven infinite, right? Like you go seven, seven, seven. Like it just completes it, completes it, completes it. Jesus completes this generation. Jesus completes this generation. Jesus completes this generation. Why? Because his arrival is redemption for every generation. And he is the king and the ruler that we've been waiting for past, present, future. See, what Matthew is saying is that in this completion, as Jesus' arrival is coming, is that his life is what anchors and redeems all of human history. That's what he's telling us. If you were to wrap it all up, this genealogy, there's a redemption in the one who's come. And so when we know this, when we know that like, that's the reason God came, it was to redeem the brokenness of the world, how do we respond? My first question or takeaway is this. Have you embraced the king? Right, like we said, the, the natural posture of humanity of you and me is to say, God, I got it from here. Break the shackles off. Like, no, you don't control me. I control me. It's my life. I do what I want. But maybe the reason why some of us are here today is because we found that it doesn't work that way and it doesn't work very well, does it? As we were traveling to Arizona this past week, we're, we got like six hours in the car, right? And so we're like, okay, what do we listen to? And so uh, me and my wife turned on the uh, audio book of uh, The Great Divorce. It was written by C.S. Lewis. Um, if you haven't read this book, I, I encourage you to, to check it out. It's a very interesting book. Uh, but what it talks about is, it talks about uh, the, the, the gray town, uh, which basically, as they find out later in the book, is hell. And uh, in this gray town, basically everybody is just so focused on themselves, just wrapped up in themselves. And the picture is that there's this bus that would take uh, the people in the gray town up to meet people that are in heaven. And as they start to talk to some of the people that are in heaven, um, basically their, their whole thing is like they make, the, the people from the gray town make excuses of why they're right, of why it should be about them, of why they, they just want to make it about themselves over and over and over. And so they find new creative ways to make it about themselves. And there's people that are from uh, heaven that are trying to convince them, saying, no, would you let go of yourself? Would you let go of the rule of your life? Would you let go of the lordship of your life? Because actually, God is better at ruling your life than you are. And they're trying to convince them and they're saying that's what heaven is about. It's about God being in charge and ruler and actually that's what you were meant for. But they all had these excuses of why they needed to go back. Well, I, I didn't, uh, you know, I, I can't forgive this person. I can't move on from this situation. I, I'm holding on to these ideas that I think are right and, and God doesn't have any right to tell me what's, what's right and what's wrong. They're all holding on to themselves in some way. I think it was brilliant. Um, C.S. Lewis says this in, in the book. He says, there are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And though, those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. He says, that's how it breaks down. Thy will be done. 
right? And it was, the, it was quoted in the book. Um, it wasn't Lewis who said this, but he, he said, better to, to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. Right? That, that's the spirit. That's the, that's the heart of, 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 of what we're talking about here. And so have we embraced the king? Have we come near to the king? Have we kissed the king? Have we said, I need you in my life? I need you. I can't do this. I can't rule any longer. I'm not good at this. I need you to come in. See, that invitation is for all of us. But have you embraced him like that? Because he's come near. He's come close. Second, could you believe that he embraces you? You know, I think sometimes the hardest thing to believe is is to believe that God would want to embrace me. Why is that? It's because we know ourselves pretty well, right? We, we look at ourselves and we see all the brokenness and we think there's no way that, that if this is true, if this gospel message is true, if God's grace can come near to me, how could he embrace somebody like me? See, do you feel like you've done too much? Would you label yourself as an outsider? My encouragement to you is look intently into the lineage of Jesus and see that he didn't reject the outsider, but embraces them. Embraces them. Do you know the beautiful thing about the gospel is this, that that you aren't what you've done. You aren't defined by what you've done. But you're given a new identity in what he's done for you. You know, he calls us his children. You know, Jesus says, your family. See, no longer was Rahab labeled as a prostitute. No longer was Tamar labeled by her abuse. No longer were those throughout the lineage of Jesus, even David, says David the king was not defined by his worst moments. God's grace is sufficient for all of us. Hebrews 2.11 tells us this, that Jesus is not ashamed to call you and me family. Here's what it says, Hebrews 2.11. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Think about that. Are you filled with shame? Are you filled with discouragement? Are you filled with guilt? Are you filled with something that just feels like it's too overwhelming to overcome. My encouragement is this. Could you believe that it's true? Could you believe that the king, the true king, has come and he came for you? He came for me. It's the one that that our heart longs for. And he's come in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's came. He came so that we could all be a part of the royal family so that we all could be a part of the royal family. 
Because when you, when, when you look and you see him and you see him seated on the throne and, and you say, that's my king, he looks at you and says, you're in the family too. You're part of the royal lineage. Just like all those that have gone before, you're a part of that lineage too. Your name is written in the book of life. See, that's the beautiful part, friends. That's the gospel message. Is that we're written in there, not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but because of God's grace. He came near to us. He died for us. He rose from the dead and said, come join me. Let go of yourself. You don't have to make this about yourself anymore. Come, let me, let me be the king of your life. And by the grace of God, he comes in, he changes us, he makes us new. He makes us new. Part of his family. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. I pray that we will be a people with a blessed self-forgetfulness. That we don't have to be so wrapped up in ourselves. Building our own little kingdoms. Holding on to our way of life. But I pray that today the scriptures speak to us and we hear what Matthew was writing to his readers so long ago. Do you hear it? Will you come near? Will you see that he's come? The one we've been waiting for. In this season of Advent, Lord, help us to believe. Help us to come near and help us to see that your family, that we can be a part of it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.